Friends, it is good to set goals in order to be good stewards of God's gifts. But how do you know which resolutions are truly good and pleasing to God? This is why we must turn to God's word and let him tell us what is best. We need sound doctrine to teach us how to make godly resolutions. As Paul explains in 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8, train yourself for godliness. For our bodily training of, is of little value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. As we examine our resolutions for 2023, let's listen to what God has to say. To that end, let me invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Timothy 2, 1-6. 1 Timothy 2, verse one six. And as we approach God's word, let's ask his help in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that you rule over the heavens and the earth. Lord, we thank you that you've given us the testimony of your Son, who stands as the one and only mediator between God and man. Lord, we ask that your word will expose our sin and teach us how to live in a manner pleasing to you. Lord, show us the glory of your Son and help us to pursue godly ambitions, especially in prayer. Reveal your sovereign will to save a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Lord, we ask that your name will be lifted up as we hear your word and that you might use the gospel to draw many to faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Look at 1 Timothy 2, starting in verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Praise God for his word. My parents are great at giving Christmas gifts. Every year, they would ask for a list at least a month in advance. They would spend hours to find gifts within their budget. And every Christmas, there was an expectation in our house. Did they get what I asked for? And often, I would get most items that I had asked but there was one present that slipped my grasp. You see, when I was a teenager, I wanted to learn how to play the guitar. So what did I do? I asked for it that Christmas. But as the final gifts were unwrapped, there was no guitar under the tree. Okay, maybe next year, I thought. So the next year came, and I asked again. But Christmas came, and Christmas went, and there was still no guitar. I asked, but I did not get what I was asking for. 
So what do you think I did? Well, eventually, I stopped asking. I became apathetic, maybe even bitter, all because I did not get what I wanted. Now, I wonder how many of you think about prayer in the same way. Maybe you've been asking God for a spouse year after year. You've been praying for God to provide a job. You've been pleading with the Lord to end your suffering. And day after day, nothing happens. And you begin to wonder, does God really hear my prayers? Now, listen to me. It is good to ask God for these things. But have you ever stopped to examine your prayers? Maybe God is not answering your prayers because deep down your prayers are all about you. As James 4.3 explains, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Beloved, are you praying for relief in suffering only because you want ease and comfort? Are your prayers solely focused on what you want or on what God wants? When Paul wrote his first letter to Timothy, the church in Ephesus was consumed with their own passions. Certain men were teaching contrary to sound doctrine. And this teaching was wrecking havoc in the church. False doctrine even infiltrated the gathering, including the corporate prayers. Prayer that was meant to glorify God was, was used to advance personal agendas. You see, the Ephesian church had forgot what is good and pleasing to God in prayer. This is why Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus, so that he might put things in order. As he wrote in verse, chapter 1, verse 3, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promotes speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So Paul, in his letter, wrote to Timothy so that Timothy might instruct the church in sound doctrine. He wrote so that the Ephesian church might know how they ought to behave in the household of God. And this included their prayer life, this, their individual prayers and their corporate prayers. Friends, we need sound doctrine to teach us how to pray in a manner pleasing to God. So in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 to 6, the Apostle Paul gives us four godly pursuits in prayer. He gives us four godly pursuits in prayer. And as we go through each point, I want you to think about how you can make these godly resolutions yours for 2023. First, we see that we must pursue prayer. We must pursue prayer. Look at verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Prayer must be our first priority. Now, to help us understand this, we must see the link between sound doctrine and prayer. Do you see that word then in verse 1? At the beginning of our passage, Paul is drawing a conclusion from what he had previously said in chapter 1. So look back at chapter 1, verse 18. Look at chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, 
that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So Paul, at the conclusion of chapter 1, is reminding Timothy of the charge he already gave to refute false teachers and to teach sound doctrine. Paul charged Timothy to refute false teachers and to teach sound doctrine. Timothy, Paul's saying, Timothy, teach sound doctrine. Then, or therefore, in light of this, the fact that you need to teach sound doctrine, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Paul links prayer to the charge to teach sound doctrine. In fact, in verse 1 to 6, this is Paul's application of sound doctrine to prayer. Beloved, if you want to know if your prayers are pleasing to God, then you need to know what God says in Scripture. This is why we allow Scripture to inform our corporate prayers on Sunday. Our typical prayers follow a Scripture passage. So look at your order of service found on page 2 in your bulletin. If you remember, Aji first read Psalm 67, that passage about the nations being glad in God, and then he prayed based on that passage. He let that passage inform his prayer, and he prayed, let the nations be glad in God. Or skip down to the scripture reading. Aji first read Isaiah 45, and then he proceeded in a prayer of confession based on that text. You see, we let God's word confront our sin as the basis for our confession. Beloved, we must let Scripture teach us how to pray. An easy way, an easy way to apply this is to base your prayers on your daily Bible reading. So after you meditate on a Scripture passage, take those truths and pray them. Pray them for yourself and pray them for others. Now, if you want to learn more about this, you can pick up a copy of Don Whitney's book, Praying the Bible. Praying the Bible. Highly recommend this book. You can get one in the back, or you can have this copy. Come, come, out, come to me after the sermon. Now, sound doctrine not only teaches us how to pray, but it actually leads us to prayer. Sound doctrine leads us to prayer. Did you notice that word first in verse 1? First of all, then, before Paul gets to the important matters like qualification of elders, he first wants us to know how to pray. See, Paul prioritizes prayer as a matter of first importance. And we see this in Paul's own ministry. For instance, prayer was so essential to their apostolic ministry, the apostles refused to give it up in Acts 6. They said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We also see this in the life of Jesus. Every day, he woke up early to pray. Beloved, we must make sound doctrine and prayer a priority in this congregation. I know that we cherish the right preaching of God's word. Amen. Praise God. But do you also see prayer as a matter of first importance? When you hear a rich expositional sermon... Does it lead you to pray? You know, one of the best ways to apply the sermon is to first pray. 
Ask God to take those truths you heard and to transform your life and the life of our members. Friends, sound doctrine should lead you to pray more, not less. Not only should we prioritize prayer, but Paul tells us that we should pursue prayer regularly and consistently. Look again at verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Here, Paul urges Timothy and the Ephesian church to pray. Now, this word urge can also mean to admonish absolutely. So this is the same word that Paul uses for exhort in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Paul says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Friends, this is not a suggestion. Paul's not like somebody who is urging you to go talk to that girl. This is an admonishment with apostolic authority. Prayer is a required discipline for the Christian. We must pray. But notice that Paul's not calling us to pray just once, but to pray often and many prayers. Did you notice that there are many kinds of prayers? And did you notice that they're in the plural tense? You see, Paul here is given an example of different types of prayers that should mark a local church. These are different types of prayers that should be ongoing in the life of our body. We as a church should offer up supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings to God and to God alone. Let's briefly think about each one of those. Supplications are urgent requests to God on behalf of others. So Paul uses the same word in Philippians 1.6 to ask the church to pray for his deliverance. You, you most often find supplications in our pastoral prayer, such as when Pastor Samson prayed for Albert. Now, prayers is a very general, general word for any kind of prayer. This is like when Pastor Samson prayed that God will make us more like Jesus with a heart to please him. Intercessions are likened to a formal request before a king. These are prayers like God, that God might intervene to save the lost. Prayers of thanksgiving are expressions of gratitude to God, just as Pastor Alex thanked God for the high priestly mediation of Jesus Christ. But not only do we pray many kinds of prayers, not only is this to mark our body often and throughout, but Paul also urges us to pray for many kinds of people. So we're, we're called to pray many kinds of prayers and pray for many kinds of people. We see this at the end of verse 1. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now, what does Paul mean by that word all? He can't mean all people everywhere. It's not possible to pray for every person on the planet. Rather, Paul qualifies what he means in verse 2. He says that we pray for all people, that is, all kinds of people, such as kings and all those who are in high, high positions. Paul calls us to pray for all kinds of people, both within and outside the church. We should pray for the members of our church, and we should pray for the members of other churches. 
We should pray for our government officials and for those who live down the hall. We must pray for all kinds of peoples from different ethnicities, different languages, and different socioeconomic backgrounds. And when you add all of this up, this call to prayer, you can only come to one conclusion. We as Christians must pray without ceasing. We must pray without ceasing. So here's your first resolution for 2023. Pursue prayer. Find time each day to prioritize prayers of supplication and thanksgiving for all kinds of people. Make this a regular part of your daily devotions and your family worship. Do this throughout your day as you commute to work. You know, a great way to do this is to use the membership directory. Use the membership directory. If you are a member, this is for you to use. Use it in prayer. You can get a copy in the back. Based on the sermon passage for that week, pray for one page, one church, and one government leader a day. You can also use the Grace Weekly email to help you in that. Beloved, we must be a church whose first inclination is not to open up the phone, but to open up our Bibles and pray. So we must pursue prayer. Secondly, we must pursue godliness through prayer. Paul tells us we must pursue prayer, but we must also pursue godliness through prayer. We see this in verse 1 and 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that or so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. In verse 2, the Apostle Paul links our prayers for all peoples with godly living. We see this in that purpose statement, that or so that. We pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people so that, here's the purpose of our prayers for others, we lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. The word lead refers to the passing of our days. It's a figure of speech that signifies a humble existence. That word pair, peaceful and quiet, portrays a person who's at peace with others. Their hearts and their relationships are not full of strife, but are quiet and content. Godly and dignified pictures someone who lives before God in holiness, someone who honors God in every situation in life. And when you put them all together, you get something that looks a lot like our humble and lowly Savior. Beloved, this is a church at peace within, inside, and without, outside. This is a church who seeks to honor God in every circumstance, even when it's difficult. This is a church that humbly submits to God-given authority, even when it's hard. This is similar to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 12. He wrote, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. But here in our text, Paul tells us that we pursue godly lives by praying for others. We pursue godliness in our lives by praying for others. How does prayer for others lead to godliness in our lives as a local church. 
Well, I think there are at least two ways. There are two ways that our prayer for others leads to our godly living. First, we pray for others so that we are free to pursue godliness. We pray for others so that we are free to pursue godliness. And I think this is made clear in Paul's use of the word kings in verse 1. You see, if his only point was to tell us that we pray for all kinds of people, he could have used any example. But here he highlights governing authorities, and, and in that day, those were the, these were those who were the most feared opponents of the church. Caesar, the king of Rome, was hostile to Christians and would later, to, later put Paul to death. And this threat, this threat from the government would have limited the church's ability. It would have limited the church's ability to live out the basic commands of Scripture. So Paul's not saying that the church cannot thrive under persecution. Quite the contrary. Rather, he's urging the church to pray for those very authorities who are persecuting him. Similar to what Jesus says. Pray for those who persecute you. So think about an example in our day. I think this will help us. Think about the church in North Korea, where many Christians are arrested and put in labor camps. How can our brothers and sisters practice healthy church membership when they cannot even gather? How can they observe the Lord's Supper or serve the needs of the saints when they all are bound in chains? So what does Paul urge the church in North Korea to do? Pray for their leader, Kim Jong-un. Pray that God will turn King Jong-un's heart so that he might rule in such a way that pleases the Lord. You see, every king, every king and every governor and every authority is under God's sovereign kingship. Romans 13 tells us that God has appointed every authority so that they might punish those who do evil and reward those who do good. That good is according to God's word. But notice, God, Paul never commands us to pursue peace by protesting the government. Do you notice that? He never commands us to complain about their incompetency. Rather, he tells us to pray for them, to pray for those leaders. Pray that God would turn their hearts and that they would establish justice in the land. Beloved, we should want justice in our courts and righteous laws in our land. We should want righteous leaders and officials and kings here in Charja. And you know why we should want this? So that we are free to pursue godliness. So that we are free to live quiet lives before God and man. So what should we do as a congregation? We should pray for our leaders. We should pray that God will move in their hearts to grant, grant us more freedom and more fit favor to gather as a congregation in this land. We should pray that they might give us land to establish a long-term witness here in Sharjah. We should pray that we can be the church as we pray for our leaders, even leaders who might persecute us or make living difficult as a Christian. Beloved, do you pray for our leaders? Do you pray for the king here in Sharjah? Do you pray for governing officials here in this land, at home, or at work? 
So that's the first way that we pursue godliness by praying for others. The second way we pursue godliness by praying for others is this. Our prayer for others is actually the very way that we pursue godliness. Our prayer for others is actually the very way that we pursue godliness. Our prayer for others is the practice of godliness. So think about that person or authority in your life that makes it hard for you to live out your life as a Christian. Now, for many of you, that's your boss. Many of your employers demand your time and your allegiance as if work was your God. Most of your bosses are unbelievers who do not care if you have enough time to go to church or a Bible study. They are not interested in your spiritual well-being. And they can make pursuit of godliness very difficult. And this can create all sorts of chaos and difficulty in your life. Instead of honoring Christ in the workplace, you might be tempted to complain to other co-workers. Instead of working unto the Lord, you might be frustrated when your boss says no to that leave so that you can go to that conference. So how should you pursue godliness in those situations? You should pray for your boss. And you should pray for your coworkers. And yes, pray that God will turn their hearts. But as you pray, guess what will happen? God will surely work in your heart. Friends, it is impossible to remain bitter when you offer prayers of thanksgivings for your boss. So thank God for the ways that he leads you well. Thank God for the job that you have. Think about all those gifts, common gifts of grace at the workplace. And if you can't think of anything, then pray for your boss. Pray that God will help your boss to be fair in his dealing. Beloved, Paul calls us to pray for the very people we are inclined to exclude in our prayers. He calls us to pray for the very people we are inclined to exclude in our prayers. And this is a way we pursue quiet and godly lives. When you pray for others, God will deal also with your heart. This is way we pursue godliness. And this is true in the workplace, and it's true with difficult relationships. So if you want to grow in love for a brother or sister, begin praying for them regularly. Often our hearts are full of enmity, clamor, frustration, dishonor, and ungodliness because we are not praying. Because we are not praying for, to God, and we're not praying for others. Friends, when you pray for other people, your eyes move from you and your wants and your desires and your circumstances, and it turns your eyes upon Jesus Christ. When we pray like this as a body, we are displaying a Christ-like love that is more concerned about the well-being of others. So your second resolution for 2023 is to pursue godliness by regularly praying for others. We must pursue prayer. We must pursue godliness through, through prayer. And point number three, we must pursue God's purpose of prayer. We must pursue God's purpose of prayer. We see this in verse three and four. Here in verse three and four, we see at least two purposes of prayer. Look at verse three. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Friends, the reason we pray for others is because it pleases God. 
Now, we are not praying here to earn God's favor. Our prayers are not good merits that help us be right with him. Rather, we are right with God through Jesus Christ. We seek God's pleasure because we already have his favor. So we must pray in light of this to please God. When we pray according to God's will, it pleases him. It pleases him. It is like when my son does what I tell him. He can never earn my love. He can never lose his standing as my son. But when he obeys, it makes me happy. And the same is true for us with our Heavenly Father. When we pray according to what God says in his word, it makes your father smile. Beloved, you should pray for others, if only for this reason, because it is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. The phrase, in the sight of God, literally means before his face or in his presence. This, my friends, actually is what prayer is. Prayer is coming before the very throne of God. Did you know that when we pray on Sunday morning, we are coming as a congregation into the very presence of God? So whether you are leading the prayer or you're praying along, each one of us, by faith in Christ, those who believe, are participants in that holy communion. We do not pray on Sundays as some sort of ritual or Christian tradition. Rather, we pray together as an act of worship. Prayer is an act of worship before the throne of God. So think about that the next time we pray together. And when we pray for those who do not know Christ, we come into God's presence on behalf of those who are currently cut off from God. We are praying on their behalf with the full attention of our King. So we must pray this way. We must pray for others simply because it pleases God. But the second purpose we see is that we must pray according to God's sovereign will. We must pray according to God's sovereign will. Look again at verse 3. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Friends, it is good that we pray for all people. But God's main desire is not for political stability or for better working relationships. God's desire is that all people would be saved. Those very people who are cut off from God's presence even now, he desires their worship. Now, what does it mean that God desires all people to be saved? Well, the Greek word for desire here can mean want or will. Now, most interpreters will choose want or desire in order to preserve the church from any hint of universalism. And that's good. That's good. But I think in using the word desire, they are missing the main point of the text. You see, we've already established that Paul's use of all people refers to all kinds of people. The point is that God has sovereignly willed He has ordained, he has planned before the foundations of the world that all kinds of people be saved. These are all kinds of people who believe in Christ. This is what Paul means by coming to the knowledge of the truth. 
To know the truth means to have saving faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that Christmas truth that we heard about last week. For instance, listen to a parallel passage similar to ours in 1 Timothy 4, verse 10. Paul says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially or particularly of those who believe. This is the point. God's salvation is not for a select few You see, this was the problem during the Ephesian church. These false teachers were being insular and saying that salvation was only for the Jews. They limited their prayers not to all peoples, but to advance them themselves and their purposes. But God's heart is that he might save sinners, period. God loves to save sinners from all facets of life. He loves to save sinners from middle-class America and sinners from the lower regions of the Philippines. He loves to save sinners who grew up in church all their life. And he loves to save sinners who grew up bowing the knee to Krishna or Buddha or Muhammad. As God, as God says in Isaiah 45, 22, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Friends, God's sovereign plan, his will, his purpose is to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And that includes this one. Do you really think that the rulers of this land are far too off from God's saving hand? So what should we do? What is Paul telling us to do? We should pray that God will save all people. We should pray. He often uses our prayers as one of the instruments or means to advance his gospel amongst all peoples. This, my friends, is the main thing that is good and pleasing to God, that we pray for the salvation of sinners from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, brother pastors, in our pastoral prayer, we should make it a point. We should make it a point to pray for the salvation of all peoples, especially, especially our governing authorities. We should pray that God would save the king, that he would give salvation to him. This is the main thing that we should pray for our leaders. And beloved, this is the main thing that we should pray for others. Any enmity that you have with an unbelieving boss is ultimately because that person has enmity with God. So pray that God will save your boss. Pray that God will save your coworkers. Pray that God will save your neighbor down the hall. This and this, this is the main way that we live peaceful and quiet lives. To pray the salvation of all people. And as more and more people come to faith, the peace of God will spread throughout Sharjah. But friends, why are we reluctant to pray this way? Why are we afraid to pray that God would save all peoples? I think one of the reasons is that we forget God's mercy towards us. We forget that at one time, we also were under God's wrath, just like everyone else. Do you realize that the unbelievers you see every day, they are one breath, one breath away from an eternity of weeping, and gnashing of teeth, and unending sorrow, and the burning of flesh that will not die. 
This is the rightful punishment for their sin. Beloved, have you so easily forgotten that that is what you deserve? Have you so easily forgotten that God has shown mercy to you? So pray. Pray that God will save others. Pray that God will open doors for you to preach the gospel to your neighbors or your coworkers. Pray that God will give you the boldness you need. Pray that God will grant soft and receptive hearts. And pray for all people. Pray that God will save them. List out names in your workplace. List out names of your family members. List out those who live around you and pray for them specifically. Pray that God will save them. Our God loves to save sinners. So third resolution for 2023, pursue God's purpose of prayer. So we must pursue prayer, pursue godliness, pursue God's purpose of prayer. And finally, we must pursue Christ as the center of our prayers. Look at verse 5 to 6. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Here in verse 5 to 6, Paul's expounding verse 4. This is how God accomplishes salvation for all. And this is the foundation of our prayers for all. First, we see that we pray through the mediation of Jesus Christ. We pray through the mediation of Jesus Christ. Paul begins verse 5 with the Shema from Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God by which we can be saved. But the problem is that our sin has separated us from that one God. Just like Adam and Eve were cast out from God's presence, all of us have been alienated from God. More than that, our sins have put enmity between us and God. Do you know what that means? Apart from Christ, that means that God is at war with you. There's enmity between God and man. And who can stand against Almighty God? But the good news of the gospel is that God has provided one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, a mediator is someone who is a go-between. He can go between two parties in order to bring peace. Or reconciliation. He has access to both parties and is able to represent their interests. Now, as a second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ is able to represent God before man. And at the right time, as we heard last week, Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us. As fully man, Jesus can also stand on our behalf before God. As the one who is fully God, and fully man, the only one who is fully God and fully man, he alone is qualified to mediate between God and men. He alone can bring mediation and peace. Friends, this is good news for us and for all peoples. It is only through the mediation of Jesus Christ that we can be saved, and it's only through the mediation of Jesus Christ that we can come to God and pray for others. But the question remains, how can we as sinners enter into God's holy presence? 
How can we enter into God's holy presence? The reason we can approach God is because what our mediator has done. It's because what our mediator has done. We pray with confidence in Christ's finished work. Look again at verse 5. There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. There is only one thing that will end God's enmity towards us, is the execution of his judgment. When we think about our need for a mediator, you must realize that we are not equal parties negotiating a plea deal. No, rather, we are like convicted murderers who stand before the righteous judge. And the righteous judge has rendered his verdict and must uphold his righteousness. He must judge us for our sins. Our sins must be paid in full with his wrath. Not one drop of his wrath can be left unsatisfied. But praise the Lord, the mediator, Jesus Christ, gave himself as a ransom for our sins. The reason that he can stand between God's wrath and us is because he bore God's wrath on the cross. He paid the blood price on that cross. He died the death that we deserve, and he bore God's wrath that was reserved for us. Jesus Christ on the cross made payment for our sins by offering up freely as a pleasing sacrifice to God. Jesus surely did pay it all. And guess what? God accepted this ransom, this payment, and he demonstrated that God's wrath was satisfied when Christ rose again three days later. Friends, if you do not know Christ then you have no one to stand between you and God's wrath. Your life is full of jealousy, strife, and enmity because you do not have peace with God. You are at war with God because of your sin, and he is against you. You cannot stand before his presence, but you deserve the full measure of God's wrath. But in the fullness of time, God sent his only son, the man Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ purchased salvation for everyone, for everyone who will turn from their sins and trust in his saving work. Friends, the the fact of the matter is that you are at this moment eternally separated from God. And God has provided you a mediator, the only mediator who can resolve your problem with God. Friends, if you reject Christ, if you reject Christ, then you turn away your only hope of salvation and eternal life. Friends, if you're not a Christian, we plead with you to turn from your sin and trust in Christ today. Cry out to him in prayer, and he will surely answer you. Beloved, your last resolution for 2023 is to keep Christ as the center of your prayers. Christ's death and resurrection is the testimony given at the right time. It is the witness of the gospel by which we can be saved, and it's the witness of the gospel that we can pray for others. After his resurrection, Jesus ascended back to the throne of God. And in God's presence, as fully God and fully man, Jesus Christ stands in heaven as our one mediator, 
Friends, our God lives. Jesus Christ ever lives to mediate God's presence to you. He ever lives to intercede for you. This is why we can pray. Our prayers are acceptable to God, not because of anything good in us, because they're mediated through Christ in his perfect intercession. Because our Savior died, and because our Savior rose, and because our Savior lived, we now can boldly, every single day, approach God in prayer. Because our Savior lives, we can know with confidence that our prayers are pleasing, good, and acceptable to God. Beloved, we can humbly and boldly enter into God's presence and make our request through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So when we pray, when we pray that God would save the lost, we must keep the person and the work of Jesus Christ at the heart of our prayers. In fact, Revelation 5.9 tells us that Christ's blood ransomed or purchased people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Do you know what that means? The work is already finished. Christ has already purchased a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. They already belong to him. So when we go in prayer, we can pray with confidence, not in our prayers, our ability to speak, or our ability to share the gospel, but we can pray in the confidence of Christ and his shed blood. Pray with boldness. Pray that God would say, every people in this land, do you not think, do you not think that God cannot shut off the call to prayer? Just like he shut off all the bars in Scotland during the Scottish revival? He can do it. He can surely do it. So get on your knees and cry out to him. Pray that God would save a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation in this land. Pray for our leaders that God would save them. God, pray that God would receive all the glory due his name. Friends, is there any better resolution than this? Is there any better resolution to pray that Christ will receive the reward of his suffering? Is there anything more worth your time to pray that God will receive the glory and honor due his name? By faith in Christ and Christ alone, make this your godly ambition for 2023. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for our mediator who even now intercedes for us. We thank you that even now we can enter into God's presence and lift up our request to you. Lord, I plead with you that you would make us a people who love sound doctrine and loves to pray for the lost. Lord, we pray that you would show us how this pleases you, your heart to save sinners from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Lord, we ask that you'd help us to repent of our laziness and our busyness and our comfort and ease. Help us to see the greatness and glory of Christ. Help us to see the urgent need of our friends, our coworkers, and neighbors. And we pray that you would save them. We pray that you would make us a people who pray for all peoples. We pray that you do this through the powerful work of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.